Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. It's thrilled to be with you today. You know, as Americans, we love the amazing. And over the past few weeks, especially during Super Gold Weekend or Super Gold Sunday, millions of people watched amazing athletes do amazing things. We as a culture, we love athletic prowess, right? In the Olympics and in the Super Bowl, we get to see and witness some of the most amazing athletes in the world, some of the finest in the world. We get to watch in slow motion physical feats that were once considered impossible. We marvel at the, uh, and we marvel and award physical and athletic acumen. The gold medal is reserved for the very best, right? Those who, who break world records, those who outlast their opponents, those who give their all to the point of physical exhaustion. That's what we just love. <laughs> whether it's skating, whether it's football, it doesn't matter. Today, today we're going to encounter Jesus, where if he had, if he were giving out medals, he would be giving out a gold medal. It's one of the few times we actually see Jesus commend someone because of their faith. Now, we know that when we exercise faith, God is pleased because the Bible says it plainly. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that great chapter on faith, it says this in the beginning verses, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So <clears throat> while we love um, the amazing athletic achievements, it's God who loves amazing faith. And that's gonna be our focus today. Amazing faith out of it's seen in the, in the life of a really unusual character. But I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray for you. And for me, because, you know, some of us come, tune in, and our, our faith is weak. Our faith is, is thin. Our faith is almost gone. So let me pray for us. Father God, I pray for those whose faith is, is really weak. I pray for those whose faith is thin. I pray for those whose faith is almost gone. Would you help us understand you more? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you indeed help us in those places where doubt and fear have crept in and faith has been pushed out so that we might, might trust you more fully and completely? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I think about this story, it, it's, it just is amazing. It's Luke chapter seven, the first 10 verses. This is what it says in the first verse. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. So he, he had just finished talking um, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. We covered that last week. And then it says this in verse two. And there was a centurion servant whom is, uh, his master's highly valued and was sick and about to die. Now this is an account of a healing, right? but it actually highlights someone's faith, specifically who has that faith and 
who is the object of that faith. And Jesus, as I said, had just finished the Sermon on the Mount, and now he enters into you know, his, his base of operation. And we're going to see today an example of a faithful man, much like those expressed in the Sermon on the Mount, building his life on the firm foundation of Jesus. Now, he is a centurion. What is that? It's a soldier of the Roman army. And this man is a Gentile, not Jewish, a Gentile officer with a hundred men under his command. He's the focus of the story because of his amazing faith. The healing is of his valued servant isn't the highlight of the story, if you can believe that. The highlight of the story is what Jesus says about this man's faith. And as we'll understand as we read the story, right, we'll actually never meet this man. We won't actually see him, if you will, but his faith we'll see the impact of. Verses three through five say this. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the, Jew, of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. They came to Jesus. They pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. Now, the soldier had heard of Jesus. and There is no indication that he had seen him, been introduced to him, but he'd heard of him. And likely, he was very aware of his healings, his miracles, and because of the situation was so serious, he acted. But not being Jewish and likely pretty accustomed to the particular ways of the Jewish people, he sent emissaries to plead their case, to plead his case. And these, these civic leaders, they obviously respected this soldier because they vouched for his character. They go so far to say, Jesus, he deserves your attention, which is a strong statement for sure. Now, his deservedness is based on, apparently, his love for the nation of Israel and for their synagogue that, that he helped build. And this is why many scholars, though they're divided, believe that this man had kind of converted, maybe, to Judaism, or was at least a God-fearer, a proselyte. He, he was sympathetic to the Jewish people and to their God. Now, centurions made a whole lot more money than just your average uh, soldier. So in, in this day, a soldier might earn 75 denarii, right? The centurion's going to earn between 300, I mean, excuse me, 3,750 to 7,500 denarii in the same period of time. So it's, it's a lot more. He's a man of means. And this shows us that, you know, Jesus's reputation, it's reaching significant people of all races, not just limited to, say, the poor people. And they asked Jesus, hey, would you come and, and save the servant, is really what they say, to rescue him from this disease. This is Jesus's mission. And it's communicated this way throughout the entire Gospel of Luke, coming to seek and to save. That's what it says in Luke 19.10, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. This man asked Jesus to do just that. So let me ask you, where, where in your life, may not be life and death like it is here, but if you were pleading um, for yourself or for someone else and you'd come to Jesus, what would you be asking him? What would your plea be? Because Jesus wants so badly to be a part of uh, meeting our needs, and particularly those that are just, you know, just 
unbelievably difficult. And that's what's happening right here. In verse 6, it says this, So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him. And they said, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, I don't want you to miss the first part of verse 6. Jesus responded to the invitation. Jesus went with them. Jesus and his compassion have no racial limits. Hmm. He was headed to the man's house. In a day and age where there is so much racial tension in our country, Jesus' example and his mission should demonstrate that followers of Jesus, the community of faith, and the church should have no racial limits either. Racial divisions. Now, it cannot be overlooked that while Jesus first was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, his mission is global. That's important to understand. His mission is global. Not just, it's not simply just a, a national mission. And throughout Luke's gospel, we'll see that when Israel, the people of Israel, refused Jesus, and therefore his plan for them to be a light to the nation, Jesus himself goes to the Gentiles. And we see this over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. Now, <clears throat> we know that at the great throne of Jesus, as recorded in the book of Revelation, there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation worshiping Jesus. It says so in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. This is what it says. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy, they're speaking to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And this fact is why we at the chapel just had our international banquet where we welcome people from 24 different nations. It's also the reason that we're asking God to send from our church 92 more people into the hardest to reach places in the world. It's part of our grow-to-go uh, vision that God would use us to take the message all around the world. We would love for you to join us. There'll be a link provided. When Please go to our grow-to-go page and, and read about this vision God has given us and how we are seeking to pursue it. What you need to see here is that this is on Jesus' heart all the time. Now, the centurion, this, this Roman officer, he didn't consider himself worthy to approach Jesus, right? He, demon, he, he demonstrates one of the central attributes of, uh, that causes faith to flourish, that produces amazing faith, and that attribute is humility. He didn't see himself worthy to approach Jesus and to have Jesus even in his house. I want to ask you, how do you view Jesus compared to the centurion, right? We have, you know, we have so much more information and experience about Jesus. This guy had just heard of him. He was humble. He was reverent. He was worshipful. What about you? Are you just amazed at Jesus? You know, sometimes our response is, is not that reverent. But, you know, I also think, who can really, who is really worthy? 
to approach Jesus. Aren't we, like this man, glad that Jesus comes to us? It's amazing that Jesus would go toward the house of this Gentile man. This man's response, it, it kind of reminds me of Peter's in, in Luke chapter 5 when, when he caught all the fish. Simon Peter said to Jesus, he, he fell at his feet and he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. A humble response is what he offered. Now, the messengers reveal, his friends that go to Jesus, reveal the official's faith by reporting um, his words. All you need to do, Jesus, is say the word. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. <laughs> this is important for Luke's readers who would have been experiencing life after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And it's important for us to know even though physically absent, Jesus can show his presence effectively. So here's our point. The centurion's faith was in Jesus's authority. That's what, that's what got his attention. Now, this man explains the source of his amazing faith. It comes from a, a deep understanding and conviction of how authority works. Now, remember, if you want to grow in your faith, then you grow in your understanding of the object of your faith. As a soldier, he was intimately aware of how authority works. And he saw Jesus as a person who had all and absolute authority. He explained himself this way in verse 8. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Authority allows us to extend to others the rights and privileges and resources to act. Well, here's how the dictionary defines it. Authority, the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. This soldier, this officer, understood the power of authority and understood that Jesus had absolute authority. Now, whatever he had heard about Jesus gave him confidence that Jesus had the power and the right to heal sickness, to cast out demons, to do whatever he wanted to through the command of his voice. Just say the word. But if we're honest, the idea of authority in our current day and age, the current day and age, is deeply troubling, especially when there has been so much abuse of power or authority, right? Even, even within the church. So I want to talk about authority for just a minute. And I want us to examine what Jesus taught about it. See, how, how to exercise and respond to authority has, almost from the beginning of time, troubled governments and citizens, employees and employers, parents and children. To some people, the notion of authority it's frightening. It conjures up the image of some distant, impersonal, uncaring power. But to others, the images are of, gives comfort, suggesting security. Now, the basic idea behind the word authority is freedom of choice. The greater authority, um, excuse me, the greater the authority, the greater the responsibility, that makes sense, of unrestricted freedom of action. A person without authority has little freedom of action. Others uh, maintain the right to control him or her and determine his or her actions. A person with maximum authority 
uh, has total freedom of action and thus has the right to control the actions of others. Now, it's easy to see when, when used in of secular authorities, the, the, the word, the concept of authority means power, to give orders. However, when used of God, of God's overarching authority, there are no claims about his inherent strength or even the nature of God. But what it does claim is that God, God, God's ultimate freedom of action, God and, and Jesus as God, is totally free to make decisions that cannot be frustrated by natural or personal power, any, really anything in the universe. So for this military officer, authority, well, his authority was derived from Rome, from the empire itself, which had chosen to extend to him the freedom of action that allowed him to control the behavior of his troops. So the officer's request for Jesus to, to simply speak the words of healing is really a, an amazing confession of his amazing faith. The officer recognized the authority Jesus had derived from God, and he saw it as complete and therefore able to exercise control over demons. Jesus spoke and acted with full divine authority and authorization. It was Jesus' very freedom of acting and teaching and healing that, that, that stunned and disturbed the Jewish people. Instead of, instead of constantly referring to traditions as, as authoritative, his actions, right? Uh, the, the actions of Jesus demonstrated this unshakable power, his miracles. When, when Jesus scandalized his listeners by, by pronouncing their, the, the, uh, their sins, um, excuse me, the sins of this paralyzed man were forgiven. Wow, he provided the authority of making such a declaration by healing the man. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 5. Now, this is a story of a man that's been, been lowered through the ceiling of a roof, placed in front of Jesus to be healed, and Jesus says, uh, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, what? And then he says this, um, but I want you to know, or that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Uh, so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus wanted them to understand he had full authority, and the miracle proved it. It is possible that, G that this soldier had heard of this healing and of Jesus' recognition and faith of those who, who brought the man to Jesus. Because in the story, the roof's open, there's men up there, there's a guy in front of him. He notices their faith. He comments on their faith, much like this man. It's probably, you know, where, where this soldier, where this centurion heard of Jesus. Now, it should be noted that when Jesus taught about authority to his disciples, he specifically ruled out the kind of power-based authority that is exercised in the secular world for personal gain and personal glory. He would say in Mark chapter 10, he's talking to his disciples. It says this, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
This was how Jesus taught about it. And whoever wants to be first will be the slave of all. And he concludes with this great statement, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is what Jesus taught his disciples, that it was to serve. Jesus gives Christian leaders authority to build up believers, not to enslave them, not to smother them, right? And built up in faith, Christians will freely choose to be obedient to Jesus and live. And Jesus even extends his authority to us, followers of, of him, to go and disciple all the people of the world. This is why we go. And Jesus, it says in, in Matthew um, 28, it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wow, that's a lot of authority. Jesus has it. And it was through this soldier's understanding of how authority works, and that Jesus had absolute authority derived from God himself, that he makes his request of Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus is blown away. He's like, wow. This faith from a Roman soldier of all people. This is gold medal faith. This is amazing faith. And, and, and this man received Jesus' commendation in verse 9. This is what it says. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. This is the only place where Jesus is said to be amazed at someone's faith. It says, now in Mark chapter 6, we hear that Jesus is amazed of lack of faith. But here is the only positive commendation of faith. And, and our second point is simply this. The centurion's faith amazed Jesus. Absolutely amazing. Jesus has this emotional response. He's blown away. Right? The comparison with Israel, with those people who should have had great faith and didn't. This man, this man trusts Jesus sight unseen. You begin, to, you begin to grasp it. He still hadn't seen him, right? He still hasn't met him. He sent emissaries first, now he sent friends second, and he's saying, all you have to do is say the word. Now, to understand why Jesus was so amazed, we have to understand what constitutes biblical faith? Now, I want to talk about that a minute. I just, I think it involves three things. Knowledge, you got to know, you have to accept, and then you have to trust. Now, first, biblical faith involves knowledge of who Jesus is. We're told that um, the soldier heard of Jesus. He was aware. He had knowledge of him. Take, for example, Romans chapter 10, verse 10, uh, 14. It says, how can they... Uh, how can they call on one whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in one whom they've not heard? They don't have any knowledge of him. And how can they hear unless someone is preaching to them? So, you know, this verse confirms the fact we have to have knowledge so that we can believe. This man, the centurion, this soldier had heard of Jesus. So secondly, the second part of biblical faith involves acceptance, accepting the personal work of Jesus. 
Now, now the most basic meaning behind the Greek word we translate as belief or faith is to accept something as being true or to be convinced of something. You see, a, a person can understand and yet not accept something as being true. Think about the term fake, fake news. It's used on both sides of an argument now. Basically, it says, I know what you're saying. I don't accept it as being true, right? Here's another example. If I say, hey, I live in Montana. You may know where Montana is. You might have been to Montana. You may like Montana. However, that doesn't mean that you believe me. And in a similar way, you can understand facts about Jesus and, and yet not accept them as being true. Obviously, this man not only knew, had knowledge of Jesus, but also accepted his person and work. He accepted that his actions, his miracles, were sanctioned, authorized by God himself. Thirdly, biblical faith involves trust. Trust in Christ alone. Again, the Greek word that's translated believing or faith includes the idea of trust or reliance or dependence on something. Now, throughout the New Testament, you can see this because there's always a preposition after the word believe or trust. We're never asked just, just to believe, as the bumper sticker says, right? Because it, it begs the question, just believe in what? Take the, take the well-known verse, John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his, his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, have eternal life. It doesn't just say believes, believes in him. This soldier, for example, had heard of Jesus, that many had knowledge of him. He had accepted his authority as being from God. And then, and then he trusted in Christ's authority to heal his servant. He expressed biblical faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And when biblical faith is exercised, when amazing faith is exercised, amazing things happen. Look at verse 10. When the men who had been sent returned to the house, these are the friends of the centurion, they found the servant well. He's been healed. We don't ever hear Jesus say the word. We don't ever hear him utter anything except a commendation to the soldier. And we never see the soldier. We see the Jewish leaders that come to speak to Jesus. We see the soldier's friends that come to speak to Jesus. We never see the servant. We never hear Jesus' commands. We never see the centurion. <laughs> and yet, faith was placed in Christ alone and Christ was glorified. Our third point. The centurion's faith allowed Jesus to reveal his glory. Now, we're not saying that our faith is the catalyst for Jesus's ability to reveal his glory. What we are saying is that our faith is the conduit, right? Uh, he, he's the cause, but our faith is the conduit. And this, <clears throat> this gold medal faith, this amazing faith that this Roman soldier had put in Jesus, it impacted the entire community. First, it impacted the beloved servant who was healed. I mean, he, his whole life changed. He never saw Jesus. Then the Jewish leaders would, would have known about this, those that had gone and, and then found out the son lives, that Jesus had, you know, had healed him. The friends would know. And all this happens because of 
one man's faith in Jesus. Here's our, here's our bottom line. Amazing faith is formed through an absolute assurance in the object of our faith. And that object is Jesus. And this man was absolutely sure of the object of his faith. So there's lots to learn from this little encounter that Luke gives us this beautiful story. But I just wanna highlight just a few of them. First, humility is the foundation for faith in Jesus. Without humility, we'll never admit our need, we'll never accept saving help. You know, C.S. Lewis said it well, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it is thinking of yourself less. Let me say it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. This man didn't feel worthy to have Jesus in his home, nor did he feel like he could approach Jesus. Such feelings come not by thinking about ourselves, but by focusing on another. He focused on Jesus, and as he, he, as he did, he saw himself as completely unworthy. So he's also not acting for himself, but for his servant. He's thinking about his servant. And he didn't mind asking for help, both from friends and from Jewish leaders. Remember, this is a man of means. This is a man who has connections, and he doesn't mind asking for the help of a Jewish preacher, of a wandering rabbi. His heart is focused on others. You just see his humility. What about you? Are you humble? Are you proud? Can you ask and receive help from others? Or do you try to fix everything yourself? Your ability to ask for and receive help is, is a small indication of your level of humility. Let me ask you this. Where are you really struggling in life? And have you asked Jesus for help? If not, why? Why? Why haven't you? Amazing faith in Jesus springs from a heart of humility. That may be something you need to look into, just the, the condition of your heart. Secondly, and I said this already, our faith is strengthened by deepening our understanding of the object of our faith. I always use the story of a zip line. The more I understand about the zip line, how much weight it can hold, how it was put together, how strong the clamps are, the more my faith in the zip line to hold me will work. I get really scared by those things. And I've been told, you know, um, this zip line can hold 3,000 pounds. I think it can hold you. And I'm like, are you sure, right? The more we know, accept, and trust about the object of our faith, the greater our faith will be. This man had heard of Jesus. He knew of his power, his authority, and he accepted that authority, and he trusted it to be sufficient. So amazing faith is developed through a growing understanding of the object of our faith. How about your faith? Is it weak? Yeah, we can pray to Jesus as others have. Help me in my unbelief. He will, and he has. There, there actually is something that we can do to strengthen our faith. We can grow in our understanding of the object of our faith. Now, let me ask you this. Where could you grow in your understanding about Jesus that would strengthen your faith? What, maybe what attributes might you study and meditate on? His love, his grace, his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his power, his authority. 
wonder what would it be? God has given us His Word. He's given us His Word so that we can grow in our understanding of Him, the object of our faith. The, the real question is, will we? Will we do that investigative work? Will we seek to understand and grow in our knowledge and grace of Christ? And finally, amazing faith is active. It's not passive, right? It was complete, not partial. It wasn't simply in this soldier's head, but it was also in his heart. You see, the centurion knew, accepted, trusted Jesus completely, and that trust was active. No, he didn't go to see Jesus, right? He didn't touch Jesus, he didn't go to Jesus, but he acted with amazing faith in Jesus. He sent one group of people, he sent another to plead his case and that of his servant. Amazing faith is active, trusting Jesus alone. So amazing was his faith. So it was so active that he believed all Jesus had to do was speak the word. Interestingly, again, we never heard Jesus say the word, but the servant was healed. The centurion believed, but, he, but we, we never see him, just his friends, just the emissaries, right? The officer didn't ask Jesus, hey, can you help me? Can you help some other people that were here? He asked Jesus to do it all. Believing in Jesus' authority, he knew that though they were apart geographically, Remember that. They were not physically in the same place. And even though they were different races and from different nations, those are huge barriers. But he still believed that Jesus had God's authority and his word was all that was necessary. Wow, what about you? Are there places where your faith is, is just in your head, but it's not in your heart? Hmm. Places where your faith is, is built on knowledge, but it hasn't been something you actually accept or trust. I wonder, what would it take to move your knowledge to something that you would accept as true and then you would actually trust? What would it take to move from your head to your heart? These 18 inches can be the difference of eternity. What would it take for your faith to become active, alive, a faith that is real and an expression of your will. So when it comes to Jesus, do you just have an understanding and or acceptance but have never trusted him? I wonder if you would today. I invite you, right, to sim not just to simply know and to accept as true, but to completely trust in Jesus alone. Yeah, I need to do it today. You may have some questions. We'd love to interact with you on any questions that you have. And Jesus never frowns on that. So just send us an email at connect at thechapelbr.com or go to our webpage, thechapelbr.com slash yes for more information. When it comes to salvation, you can understand that Christ died for you and rose from the dead. You can actually accept this as being true and still depend on your good life to save you. That's not biblical faith. That's not amazing faith. That's not saving faith. You can understand that, that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. You can accept that as being true and still depend on some kind of religious activity to save you. That's not biblical faith. 
that's not saving faith. It's not salvation. Biblical faith means that you understand that Christ died for you and rose from the dead. Accepting that to be true and trusting in Christ alone to save you. That's biblical faith. That's amazing faith. That's saving faith. Remember, it isn't the size of your faith, but the size of the object of your faith, the size and the strength of the object of your faith. Jesus said we could move mountains with faith the size of a mustard seed. That's like the piece of a grain of sand because the object of the faith is the one who created the mountains. So I don't know where you are today, but I pray that the centurion's faith and the authority of Christ might encourage you today to trust Christ more. Maybe you need to bow the knee of your heart in humility and ask for help. Maybe you need to be in God's word and be strengthened by understanding more of the object of your faith. Maybe, maybe you just need to bow the knee of your heart and exercise your will and move from knowledge to acceptance to full-on trust in Christ that's active, that's real. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for your grace Thank you that Jesus comes to us when we can't get to him. Thank you that he hears our prayers when we're separated, when we're far. Thank you that there's no respecter of people or races or nations or boundaries with Jesus. He crosses over all of them. Thank you that it's not the size of our faith, but the size of the object of our faith, the powerful, risen Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray for those that need to grow in the understanding of the object of their faith. They need to grow and understand more of who Jesus is so they might walk with him more closely and trust him more actively. Lord, I pray for those that have never trusted in Christ. They may know a lot. They may have accepted it as even being true, but they've never, ever trusted in you. I pray they would today. If that's you, right where you are, just say, Lord Jesus, today I bow the knee of my heart and I confess that I trust you. I trust that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead for me. And I entrust myself to you. And I thank you that you'll receive me, that you'll forgive me, that you'll include me into your forever family. And for that, I give thanks. And I say, amen. Amen. Please let us know if you have questions. Please let us know if you've begun a journey today with Jesus. God bless you, and thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.